Uh, so glad you guys are here. My name is Steve. I'm the campus pastor for our Noblesville campus, and it's good to be back here in Carmel. It's been a, a little while since I've been here. Uh, I'm thankful to be back with you. If you got your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one of these, I think, on the table in the back of the room. You're welcome to go grab one of those right now if you want, and actually take this with you. It's our gift for you being here today. It's page 798, at least, in the one I have in my hand. Again, it's Ephesians 1. Uh, as we get started today, I want you to imagine that you're invited to a party, uh, and you're not very excited about going because you're never excited about going to parties. Do you remember when we were kids, and you, every time one of your friends had a birthday party or some kind of slumber party or whatever, you were excited about going, and now as adults, it's like, if that party gets canceled, I will be so happy. Please, Lord, just cancel the party. I will praise you for the rest of my life. I promise. I just don't want to go, right? You don't want to go. You haven't been out of the house in like 18 months, so you don't want to go to this party. You don't know, know anybody there. And then when you get there, the host does something to increase your anxiety. They hand you a name tag that looks like this. And they give you a Sharpie and they say, here's what I want you to do. Do not write your name on this name tag, but instead I want you to write one or two words that best describe you. What do you write? You know, for many of us, we, we'd go right to our profession, right? I'm a landscaper. I'm a lawyer. I'm a nurse. I'm a pastor. I work construction or I work retail. I, I'm in management or I, I'm a laborer. I, I'm a student, or I'm kind of between jobs right now. Uh, for others of us, you go right to something relational. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm, I'm so-and-so's son. I'm so-and-so's brother. I'm so-and-so's sister. Uh, so-and-so's mom. Many of you are known as so-and-so's mom. I know that for years, my wife had all of our friend, kids' friends' moms in their phone as blank somebody's mom, right? Like she was Benita Gracie's mom or Benita Audrey's mom. That's how they were known. That's what everybody knew each other as. Uh, maybe it's a, a hobby. Maybe you'd write a hobby or an interest. I, I'm a runner. I'm a cyclist. I'm a landscaper. I'm a dancer. I'm a gardener. I'm a vegan. I'm a hunter. I'm, I, I play Magic the Gathering or I, I, I play soccer or I play uh, Minecraft or you know, I play Animal Crossing, whatever it is. Maybe uh, your cable news channel would tell you how to define yourself, right? They want you to put your ideology on here. I'm a conservative, I'm a progressive, I'm a Republican or a Democrat, or I'm a staunch independent that just happens to agree with that host 97.9% .9 of the time. Um, you know, sometimes our ideology and our theology get mixed up, right? Or, or maybe you would identify with something from your past. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a cancer survivor. I'm a veteran. What do you write? Because the chances are the word or words that you would write on that name tag are the word or words that most define you. They're, they're what you think of as your identity, right? It's that most important thing about you. Now, if you're just here checking us out, you should know that we've been reading through the Bible this year and uh, we're in this series we call Planted. And I just want you to know if you're just learning about this, like you've just started coming and you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't missed that. It's not too late. It's probably too late to read all the way through the Bible for the rest of the year unless you don't have anything else to do. But uh, we are entering some of the richest, like most intense parts of scripture. And so you can join us today. You can go download the, uh, the um, Read Scripture app, which is what we're using, or you can go to the Genesis Church website, genesischurch.me, the Genesis Church app. You can find a reading plan there, grab a Bible. Uh, we're in Ephesians now. We're in this series, uh, part of the Bible called The Epistles. And that sounds like a really churchy word, but it really just means letters. 
This area of the Bible is filled with letters that early church founders wrote to churches and the leaders in those churches. Um, and uh, it, it's a really rich part of scripture. Uh, and, and the one we're in today is a book called Ephesians. Now, it's written by the Apostle Paul. That's no surprise. Paul wrote most of the epistles. Uh, in fact, did you know that the epistles or the letters in your Bible are organized by author? And so you can tell who wrote them. All of Paul's letters are first, right after you go to Acts, and then you got all of Paul's letters. And then we have Hebrews, which we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. We don't have a clear uh, clarity around that. And then you go to James's letter, and then Peter's letters, and then John's letters, and then Jude. And so you've got all those letters. So if you ever wonder who wrote something, if it's not called like Second John, you can kind of tell. But, uh, you know, they're in order of the author. So just a little tidbit for you there. Uh, Paul wrote Ephesians. He's writing to a church in a place called Ephesus. And that church was made up of mostly Gentiles. In other words, not Jewish people who um, had been Jews first and then found Jesus, but they were Gentiles who had converted to the faith. And Paul uh, had done ministry there before he was put in prison. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, we see that he did ministry for about three years in Ephesus. Now, Ephesians differs in one significant way from many of Paul's other letters, and it's this. Uh, It doesn't appear to be in response to a crisis happening in the church. So many of Paul's letters we read and it's like he helped plant that church and then he went away and then he heard about some bad news that was happening. And so he'd write this letter in response to that bad news. Ephesians doesn't appear to be like that. Instead, uh, it just happens to be a kind of a general, here's how to live as a follower of Jesus letter, which means it's really good for you and me here 2000 years later. It helps us uh, shape our life. But we need to understand something because Paul spends the first uh, half of the letter, the first three chapters, not even telling us what we should be doing because we're Christians. Instead, he refers only to who we are, our identity, like the most important thing about us. And because of that, Ephesians is so full of good instruction because it's all based in our behavior. Uh, Because a lot of what we talk about at church is about behavior, right? You should, you you probably came to church today expecting, I wonder what the pastor's going to tell me not to do today, right? Uh, If we do this, we don't do that. The Bible says do it this way, not that way. And that's what we talk about a lot. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians that all of our behavior should be based on our identity, (laughs) that who we are determines how we act. And so because of that, Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians just telling us who we are, reminding us of what Christ has done for us. And uh, in other words, he says specifically, like, you're not a Christian because of what you've done, right? You don't become a Christian because you do enough good things or you don't do very many bad things. He says you are, but because you're in Christ, you should behave this way. You'll behave differently than the rest of the world. And so if you're a parent, you absolutely need to understand this because so much of our moms and dads, so much of our time is spent just correcting behavior, right? Our goal seems to be to raise well-behaved young men and women. Uh, but that's important. That's what we all want, right? But that's not, can't be the goal of parenting because if the goal of parenting is to raise nice, well-behaved young men and women, what you're gonna do is you're gonna spend all of your time correcting their behavior and it, instead of leading and influencing. And if you spend all of your time correcting behavior, Someday your kids are going to move out. And I know for some of you who have adult kids living at home, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, right? You, you don't believe it. But by God's grace, someday your kids are going to move out and they're going to uh, go to college. They're going to get a job. They're going to go into the military. And if all you've ever done is correct their behavior, then when they're out on their own, they're not going to understand how to correct their own behavior, right? They're not going to understand that our behavior is, uh, should be founded on who we are and on our identity. So if you spend your time telling them who they are and what their identity is, then their behavior will flow out of that. 
This is who I am, so this is what I do, right? Well, in Ephesians, Paul spends all this time talking about the, the who we are part instead of the how we live part because the truth is many of us have a really hard time understanding who we are, right? Like, what, what do we put on this name tag? We, we don't know because if we... Uh, we, don't, we just don't have a good idea of who we are. And uh, if you followed the news lately, especially if you followed economic news, you know that um, there's a really unique, uh, we're at a really unique time economically. In uh, April of this year, more people resigned from their jobs than in any other month in history. And economists looked at that and they thought, well, maybe that was a blip. Maybe that was uh, just you know, a one-time spike on the radar. But then in July, even more people resigned than in April. And in August, even more people resigned than in July. We just keep hitting these records of people. In fact, the media is calling it the great resignation. Maybe you've heard about that. Or some people are calling it the big quit. Well, I just want to tell you, and I think Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul would tell you this, that some of us are doing things that we just need to quit. Like we've got to quit doing some good things maybe in our life so that we can step into what God's called us to be great at. Uh, maybe you need to stop, you need to quit trying to please people you were never called to please. Uh, maybe you need to, your identity is tied up in something it was never meant to be tied up in. And maybe you just need to quit that. Now, for many of Paul's audience, being an Ephesian would have been a large part of their identity. Being from Ephesus was something that you would be proud of. It was a large city. It was uh, right on the sea. It was a, uh, a harbor town. It was a port city. Many people believe the population might have been as much as a quarter of a million, which would have been a large city in the area at the time. Ephesus was in Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. And it was a very cosmopolitan, worldly city. There were lots of things to do there. Landmarks like the Temple of Diana, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, were in Ephesus. Um, there was a, uh, the Colosseum, which was a 25,000-seat stadium with a club level and cup holders and a retractable roof. No, it didn't have all that stuff. But it was a very nice place. They had all kinds of athletic and um, artistic pursuits there. Uh, it was a very culture-rich place, okay? If you were from Ephesus, you were proud to be from Ephesus. It's, it's a little bit like when you talk to somebody who's from Ohio. You ever talk to people from Ohio, and they talk about how great things were back in Ohio? Our worship pastor today, Justin Tunmore, he's from Columbus, Ohio, and he will not let us stop remembering everything good that came out of Ohio. You go to a restaurant you like. Oh, you like Condado's Tacos? You know that started in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, really? Yeah. You like Wendy's? You like Arby's? You know where they're from? Ohio. Yeah. Uh, and then it's not just food either. Sometimes it's like, oh, do you like 21 Pilots? Yeah. They played in my church. Yeah. I was friends with them. There's a, I'm kind of, it's kind of a big deal. You know, they're from Columbus. They're from Ohio. They're great. You know, and then it's at that time, I usually have to remind them, well, you know what else is from Ohio? White Castle. And so there. And then they, they walk around going, O-H. Yeah. See, like, what is that? Like, it's four letters. You can't even spell the whole state. I mean, what is going on? I think I'm just bitter about the football game yesterday, so that's okay. <laughs> Justin, please don't forget to come up here at the end. Okay, I'm just joking. Uh, but it's a bit like the pride that maybe comes from being from your high school. You know, if you, if you go to Carmel High School or Westfield High School, those are great schools. It's, it's, there's a lot of good things happen there. You're proud of that. It's a great tradition. I'm from Ben Davis High School on the west side of Indianapolis. So I was a giant growing up. Well, I mean, I wasn't a giant. I was about this size. But my, my mascot was the Giants, the Ben Davis Giants. That's a pretty good mascot. I like that. It's better than uh, others. Like our lead pastor, Paul Mumaw, spent three years playing in the marching band at New Berlin High School in Illinois, which is the home of the pretzels. <laughs> rather be a giant than a pretzel. Or uh, maybe you know some other ones that are kind of weird, like Frankfurt, Indiana is the home of the 
Hot dogs, Frankfurt hot dogs, their mascot used to be an actual hot dog, but they made it into a ferocious dachshund instead. Um, it's a high school in Connecticut called Avon Old Farms High School. It's the home of the winged beavers. Uh, that's not a real creature. I don't know if you know that, but they do have, I wish I could show you a picture, but there was only one that I could find on the internet. They do have an actual mascot, which is a furry beaver costume with angel wings on the back, and it's fantastic. You should Google it tonight. Um, Williamsport, Pennsylvania is the home of the millionaires. Uh, great mascot there. If you like playing Monopoly, it looks like you would like that place. And then finally, my, this is probably my favorite, from Blooming Prairie, Minnesota, the home of the awesome blossoms. Now... <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to be, but every time I hear the awesome blossoms, doesn't it make you want to go to Chili's? Like, can anybody use an awesome blossom right about now? Could you be proud to be from a place like that? I mean, no, probably not. But people from Ephesus were proud to be from there, which is why it's a big part of their identity, which is why Paul has to spend all of this time kind of tearing that away from them and telling them that, hey, primarily this is not who you are. Your identity is not first in being an Ephesian. So Paul writes this letter, at least in part, to remind them of who they are. Okay, we're gonna start in Ephesians 1.1 if you've got your Bible open there. You've had plenty of time. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And I just wanna stop right there and say this. This is the most important phrase in the entire book. In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Paul uses this phrase. Uh, it's the key phrase in Ephesians. He uses it 11 times in the first 14 chapters, in Christ, in him, in Jesus. You'll see it there as you read through it. Um, Paul is going to spend the time telling them this because he's going to remind them that if you are a Christian, this is the most important thing about you. In fact, if I were to have this name tag at this party, I would write in Christ. And I have a Sharpie that does not work. So you will not be able to see this. But Paul says, hey, if you're going to put a label on yourself, if you're going to call yourself something, you need to say, I am in Christ. Uh, that's the most important thing. So he, he says this, as, an, as a Christian, your identity is found in Christ. It's the most important thing about you. It's more, more important than your race, more than your background, more than your neighborhood or your high school that you went to, uh, more than who you're married to or who you're attracted to. You know, and if you are a Christian, this may be the one reason that you're here today, that you needed to hear this, that this is the most important thing about you. You need to be reminded of this tidbit. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here to hear this. And I want you to know that I believe that God is in pursuit of you, that he wants you to find your way back to him and that he's got great things planned for you. But as Christians, our identity is found in Christ. Watch as Paul goes on, uh, verse two. I'm gonna just read this whole thing, verse two through 14, and then... Um, we can, we can uh, break it down after that. It says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Oh man, we're going to talk about that. Uh, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, which he purposed in Christ. 
to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the Holy Spirit, promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. You can see how Paul spends this entire passage just reminding people of what Jesus has done for them and who that makes them. It's all about identity. This whole 14 verses is all about identity. There's not a single do this or don't do that. There's not a single behavioral cue in there. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. So he spends the first sentences of this letter to the church, a letter, by the way, which would have been read out loud in the assembly, just like we just did, just reminding them of who they are. He says, this is the most important thing about you. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. See, Paul understood it wasn't easy for Christians living in Ephesus. In addition to being a spectacularly wealthy city, Ephesus was a corrupt city. There was sexual sin everywhere. There was prostitution was rampant. Uh, Ephesus was a port city. It was no secret that sailors liked to frequent there uh, on their journeys back and forth. In fact, some archaeologists have recently discovered that there was what they believed to be a brothel attached via underground tunnel to the library in Ephesus. Now, if you can imagine, wives would not really have a problem with their husbands going to the library. Okay, but they might wonder why they had so many books checked out. There was a brothel attached. So I, the reason this is so important is to, to understand is because I think we can sometimes wonder if the Bible can really speak into our context. Like, does this book about all these ancient places really have anything to say about what it's like to be a follower of Jesus in America in the 21st century. And Paul says, yes, look, here's this corrupt city that is so full of sexual sin, you know, that he understands that uh, these people were part of a church and worshiping God, but they were living in this surrounding city, this surrounding place that was very accepting of depravity and sin and even glorified it, even glorified sin. It's really no different than what you or I face today. So here's how this can be an encouragement to us. We saw the gospel thrive in a place like Ephesus, in a place where the Christians were the minority. I don't know if you know this, but in the United States, we are living in a minority Christian country now. Uh, more than half of people do not identify as followers of Jesus in the United States. But where is the gospel growing the fastest today? In many cases, it's the place where the church has to meet in secret from fear of death. But the example of these Christians in this church in Ephesus shows us that Christianity can flourish even in the most difficult context and that, that understand, understanding that can be the key to making a difference in the lives of those around us. Because so many times you and I, we think, well, it's not going to work in that house because I know him or I know her. or It's not going to work in my house because I know him, but Christianity, the, the, the gospel of Jesus can flourish even in difficult contexts. And so Paul says over and over again, you are in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. It's in Jesus before anything else. And he says to them that, and he says that to me too. And he says it to you too. Before anything else, if you're a Christian, your identity is in Christ. 
And that's significant for a few reasons. I want to share four things that I see in this passage, verse 1 through 14, four reasons why this is important, that our identity is first and foremost in Christ um, and what it means for us. If you want to write these down, you can, but if not, they'll be on the screen up here. Uh, Because you're in Christ, the first one is that you are different. You're different from all the people around you. Okay, how many of you have ever been to a foreign country? If you've been to a foreign country, raise your hand. Do you notice how you stand out in a foreign country? (laughs) Like it might be uh, what you wear, It might be what you carry around with you. It might be the color of your skin. It may be the language you speak. I remember about 20 years ago, I was in Paris and I was riding on the metro back to my hotel. And uh, you hear all kinds of words around you, most of which you can't understand. And I heard very clearly a couple rows behind me, a couple speaking in English. And not just English, but American English. And not just American English, but Midwestern American English. And so very quickly, you recognize that, right? Because that's a language that I speak. I don't speak French, but I speak Midwestern American English. Uh, And so I went back and started talking to them and found out where they were from and what they were doing in Paris. And we start to kind of make connections, right? You start to try to make those connections. Why do you do that? Because you're different. You're different than the rest of the culture around you. And being a Christian is like that too. Maybe something happens every once in a while that makes your ears perk up and wonder if someone is a Christian. Like if you're in a store and the cashier checks you out and then gives you all your stuff and says, have a blessed day. You kind of stop and go, I wonder if like, I wonder if she's a Christian or you're watching a football game this afternoon. And one of the players says, I just want to thank God for uh, allowing us to play really well today. And you go, I wonder like, is he different? Like I'm different, right? Because we're different from the rest of the world. And that stands out. Later on in Ephesians 2, Paul's going to talk about how we are fellow citizens. Our Christians are fellow citizens with God's people. We're a part of God's household. He says this, I I think, to remind people that even more than they were citizens of Ephesus, they were citizens of the kingdom of God. And so if Paul were writing this letter today, I think he might tell us, hey, yeah, you're citizens of the United States, but before you're even Americans, you're Christians, you're followers of Jesus. You can see how that kind of thinking can change how you live because if you're a citizen of the world, things like power and comfort and wealth become the goal, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. But citizens of heaven live in a different economy. We're called to be a light of the world. We're called to discover identity in Christ. And then when we do that, we're going to live differently than most of the people in this country. And in fact, on this earth, I I love uh, this article I found several years ago from New York Times editorialist, Nicholas Kristof. As I understand it, he's not a Christian, but he wrote this article in the Times several years back, praising the work of many Christians. Here's what he wrote. He said, and here's an interesting observation, or here's an interesting observation he made in the article. He said, evangelicals, okay, uh, people who call themselves followers of Christ, evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their incomes to charities. More important, they're disproportionately likely to go on the front lines at home or abroad in battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, human trafficking, genocide, and some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians who truly live their faith. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way. And it sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not a Christian. Like I don't believe what those people believe, but it's an encouragement to me to see what they're doing in Jesus name. They're foreigners. They're different from other people I meet. So that's the first thing. When we're in Christ, we're different. The second thing Paul points out when your identity is in Christ, that you trust God's word. Uh, Ephesians 1, 8 says this, says, uh, with wisdom and understanding, 
I'll put that up here in a second. With wisdom and understanding, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now you hear that and think, wait, God's made his will known to me and he's done that how? Like, how has that happened, right? Because so many of us, we go around, we spend our lives asking, what is God's will? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my relationships? What is God's will for my job? What is God's will for the degree I'm supposed to get or the the course of study I want to undertake? Where is God's will? If he's made it so clear to me, he's unlocked the mystery of his will. Where has he done that? Well, he's done it in his word. (laughs) This is why we think it's so important for every follower of Jesus to be in God's word every day. I mean, you can... If the only insight you ever get into God's word is here in this room for an hour on Sunday morning, I mean, you can come to church and you can fill up on God's word and then you can hope that that will be enough to help you weather the storms that come Monday through Saturday. But you can't, you can't get enough here to protect you out there. We can help you understand what scripture says. We can teach you what we see uh, and what what we know, but it's only by reading the word of God that you can really understand, start to understand the heart of God. It's only by drinking in his word that you can truly understand what your identity in Christ means and what his will is for your life. It's only by hiding his word in your heart that you can have a weapon to defend yourself against a very real enemy you have that wants to take you down out there. Okay, third thing we see in Ephesians 1, when you are in Christ, you put your hope in heaven. Our hope is not in this president or in the last president or in the next president. Our hope is not in Washington at all. It's not in Congress. It's not in the state capitol or the state house. It's not in the military or on some news show or a talk radio. As Christians, our hope, our only hope is in heaven. Our only hope is in Christ. All of us have the tendency to put our hope in so many things. We put our hope in our careers. We put our hope in our degrees. We put our hope in our savings accounts and our retirement accounts. We put our hope in our kids going pro so that someday they can support us when we're old and gray and too, too tired to work, right? But that is a lot of pressure to put on a person. When we put our hope in anything other than the promises of God, we are gonna walk away disappointed. The, the kindest, most well-meaning, lovely people are going to disappoint us. You know, the greatest job we ever hoped for, the dream job that we always wanted is going to disappoint us. The best young quarterback in the league is going to disappoint us. I mean, if if we put our hope in anything on this earth, every earthly kingdom is eventually going to disappointment. There'll be a disappointment, but the kingdom of heaven will never be a disappointment. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 9, he says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And that's the hope we wait for, right? It's what we long for. It's knowing that even though now we're stuck living in this imperfect, fallen, broken world, that there's another world that's waiting for us. That when our work here on earth is done, if we are who we are in Christ, we will inherit a new world, a new place to live with no more crying and no more pain, no more suffering, no more disappointment. And we will live with Christ and he will be with us and he will be our God and we will be his people. And every need will be satisfied, every desire fulfilled, every hunger satisfied, every thirst quenched by the one who created us and saved us and numbers the hairs on our head. But if you put your hope in earth, It's not going to last because 
I don't know if you know this, but if you go to Ephesus today, <laughs> this once great, bustling, wealthy, cosmopolitan city on the sea, it's not there anymore. All that's there is a bunch of ruins. All these great architectural gems are stones on the ground. But because we are in Christ, our hope can't be in anything on the earth. It has to be in heaven. Last thing, last thing we'll talk about today. Because you are in Christ, you belong to him. You belong to God. Listen to how rich this language is from the first part of this letter. Uh, verse four, he says, for he chose us. Think about what it means to be chosen. Like uh, if, if it just even a kickball game on the playground when you were a kid, just think back to that time. If you weren't the last one chosen, it was a big deal, right? If you have a, a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or girlfriend that chose you. Think about what a big deal that was. Or even just like winning a drawing. If you're in a room and your name is drawn on a hat, how exciting is that to be chosen for something? There's a lot of pride that comes with that. Well, I want you to know that the God of the universe chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were chosen by him. Verse five says, in love, he adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear this. I get to hang out with a lot of kids at church. I love so many of your kids. I love to see them back in Gen Kids. I love to see them up here in the front rows worshiping. I get to see them at Noblesville every week too. I love after the service when they come running through the auditorium and they come up on stage and they're chasing each other and they're high on donut holes and they're like going crazy in the room. I love your kids. I love so many of your kids, but I wouldn't adopt them. <laughs> There's only a few, only a few that I would adopt, but God has adopted us as his sons and daughters. Verse seven says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. I hope you see this pattern. He chose you, he adopted you. You've been redeemed through his blood. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven for all of your sin. Every sin, past, present, and future sin has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And you have great value because you belong to him. I saw a story on the news this week that I thought was a perfect fit here. It was uh, about an auction and there was a volleyball that sold for $300,000. And you think, that sounds like a lot of money for a volleyball and you'd be right. But it wasn't just any volleyball, it was actually Wilson. If you saw the movie Castaway, you probably know Wilson was Tom Hanks' best friend, only friend uh, when he stranded on this island. The volleyball, it turns out, had value not because of what it was or what it could do, but because of whose it was. Friends, we have great value because we are God's. We are in Christ. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ. And he says, you have infinite value because of that. Ephesians 1.13 says, and you also were included in Christ. Now he's writing to a church that's full of Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, and he said that we were the first, the Jews were the first, but he said, you also were included in Christ. By the way, most of us in here are Gentile believers. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul is reminding us that we're doing inheritance. If you're in Christ, there's an inheritance coming. That, that we will inherit heaven. Those of us who belong to him, we are God's possession. That we have this, that one day we will inherit this glorious place. But until then, he sent us a deposit. He sent us his Holy Spirit to live inside us, to guide us, to lead us, to help us uh, discern right from wrong, to remind us of who we are, that our identity is not in who we are or where we live or what we do, 
or what has happened to us, but our identity is in Christ. And if you're not a Christian, I just wanna ask you today, where, where is your identity? What, what is the most important thing about you? I want you to know that I believe that God loves you and he has a plan for you and he is in pursuit of you. And one day, all of us in this room, Christians and non-Christians alike, we're gonna stand before God and we're gonna have to answer for everything we did. And for those of us who are in Christ, he will look at us and he will see not our sin, not our shame, not our past, not our background, but he will look at us and he will see Jesus' righteousness. And he will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I wanna pray for you as we get ready to close. And I just wanna pray that you would see this identity that is what it means to be in Christ come through in your life, even this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am thankful to be chosen, to be adopted, to be redeemed, to be your possession, to have an inheritance that's coming in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I am thankful that you remind us that we can't put our hope or our trust in any of the kingdoms of this earth, that when we do, we will be disappointed. So Father, I pray for those of us in this room that are in Christ, myself included this week, for you to remind us of who we are. Thanks for this great reminder through the Apostle Paul that we are who we are because you say who we are. And Lord, for those of us in this room that haven't yet made you the Lord of our life, that haven't submitted our lives to yours, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself this week in a new way that we could see that who you want us to be in Christ, who you want us to be as your son or daughter, who you want us to be uh, as we're adopted by you and redeemed by you. That we could see what life on the other side looks like and what that inheritance looks like and that you would move in our hearts and show us that, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for everything that you do for us in Jesus' name, amen.